You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Green and Gold History. 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. The world champion. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. One of the main things about our organization is loyalty. And when you're a part of the family, you're in it. And our next guest has been a part of the family since 1968, since day one of the A's coming west from Kansas City. And tomorrow he will be inducted into the A's Hall of Fame. And if anybody is to be inducted, there's no question, Steve Vucinich, you should be because you've been a part of the fabric of the Oakland Athletics since day one. And now that you've retired, wow, what an honor. It really is. Um, like I said, I've been here since 68. Um, I always thought once we established a Hall of Fame, which was long, long overdue, uh, I would eventually get in and be honored, but I didn't expect it to be this soon, first year out of retirement. But uh, it's a special feeling. I mean, going in with the elite group that I'm going in with, the people that are already in there, um, it's, it's, it's so special, especially for you talk about just a sock and jock man who uh, can get honored this way. A sock and jock man. I love it. But what I, you know, it's like you could go in really with any era because you would have worked with any of the players. But there is something special for you in your life, let alone your career, going in with with Ray and Sal and Joe and what those 70s teams meant to you personally. Absolutely. I mean, We won three World Series in a row on a team that's put together by Charlie Finley, and he did a great job through the draft and free agents. And to see those guys come back, to go into the hall, uh, me be a part of going in when they go in. Like I said, it's an elite group, uh, guys that meant a lot to me. And then uh, Eric Chavez going in, unfortunately, he won't be here tomorrow. But, but him going in, too, and seeing his career rise from the time he was the number one draft choice at age 19, being an all-star in the Cal League, which was almost unheard of at the time, and his for his storied career here in Oakland. So uh, these are all my people. They're yeah. all my people and uh, uh, guys that I've been around with and you know, parts of seven decades here, they said. I, I didn't even realize that until somebody mentioned that this morning. But uh, it's really an honor, especially for somebody that never put on a uniform except to shag balls down the left field line. You're just a sock and jock guy. Just a sock and jock guy. That's the standard line. Why did you hang him up? Now that you've had time, why? You know, there are things I want to do when I'm healthy. Uh, I just got back from an Alaskan cruise. We were gone 15 days altogether, 11 on the cruise and a trip up to Denali. There are things I want to do. You know what? Um, the, the job got more and bigger, and that's why with my successors, they've kind of spread it out a little bit. The hours were long. That's what killed me. Uh, I won't say killed me, but that was a detriment. It was just the hours. I'd wake up, have a half hour at home, read a newspaper if you can get one delivered, and a cup of coffee, and I'm at the ballpark. And I got a half hour at home after the game's over. So it was the hours. It was, it was long hours. And, uh, you know, 54 years, that was enough. I was just turned 70 a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, I've had, I won't say I had enough. I love the game. I watch every game on TV if I can. 
Uh, got the MLB app and listen to you guys, and you guys get me through my workouts on my cardiac rehab every day. Me getting all angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I'll have the earbuds in, and I'll be listening, and they monitor you with a little heart monitor, and they can tell over there, and all of a sudden the girl come up, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I said, if I tell you, you wouldn't believe it. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was time. It was time to move on. And uh, I've seen too many people in my position die in, that, in this job and, yeah. and never move on and do the things that they wanted to or deserve to do. So it was time. You know, you talk about, you know, leaving the position, but you can't leave the organization because, as I said, it's family. And for you, this is whether, whether, whether you – whether you're officially working for the A's or not, I mean, this is this is a big part of your life and your love. I don't think there's ever going to be a time you can turn it off. Absolutely. It's just like somebody said, you watch our games. Why do you care? I said, you know, you just can't turn the faucet off. I'm, uh, this is my life. These are my guys. Uh, you're one of my guys. Everybody here, I see them every day during the season. And, and, you know, I'm getting words passed on to me. I think I mentioned on TV the other day from writers in Chicago, from writers in Baltimore. Um, so they're a family. This is my family, and, and that's why, you know, I still got to be a part of it. Got to be around. And the and the game changed so much during your time. I mean, you think of like the the late '60s. You know, forget you know everybody wants to talk about the '70s. You got to remember these guys came over from Kansas City. So you've got a young Reggie Jackson. You've got a young Rick Monday. I just saw a picture the other day. It's Joe DiMaggio talking to Rick Monday, Reggie Jackson, and like having just saw a picture of Rick Monday. Now I think you know because of Vin dying, Vin Scully passing away. I, th I think Monday's like 76 right now. And just think about a a young Reggie, a young, and, and there's Joe DiMaggio in the uniform. I mean, if you go back, just what baseball players were like in the late 60s to what they are today, you saw all those changes. Absolutely, and I know that picture because they, they've run that a lot lately. John Donaldson's in that picture, Joe Rudy. The respect they had for listening to Joe DiMaggio, I and mean, that was not a stage photo. That was Joe talking and everybody just kind of gathering in. Because Joe had never been in uniform with a big league club other than going to spring training occasionally with the Yankees back in Florida. And so when the team moved out of here, Charlie hired him as a vice president. It was more of a, a uh, headline position, and he could sit in on some negotiations. I know he sat in on the uh, talks with the Atlantic Rich Richfield people, which was a predecessor for Arco, and they were a big sponsor here, and he sat in on a couple of those and probably sealed the deal. But uh, uh, that was a great photo. I saw those guys come up. You know that these guys were going to be good, that they were putting it together. They are all played together in the minor leagues. Uh, they're like brothers. They're like family. Uh, they knew each other so well, and you could see them gel in 68, that was the first time they'd played over 500 balls since Charlie Finley had owned the club back in Kansas City. And then in 69, we're expected to contend. Had some injuries in there, and it didn't happen, but you could see the foundation being laid. And uh, the only guy in, uh, that it was really traded away, and it was, he was traded for a vital piece, was Rick Monday traded the Cubs for Kenny Holtzman, another starter that we needed at the time, and that kind of uh, solidified our pitching staff for 72. Yeah, you know, some of the pictures that you had in your office, you know, one of my favorites I we you and I used to always joke about was Colonel Sanders. The late the late great Colonel Sanders in the white was that a tuxedo? What was that? Or a suit, but he always had Colonel Sanders always had the little black bow tie and the white suit or 
I guess it wouldn't be a tuxedo. It would have been a suit. Yeah, that was a real Colonel Sanders. The Everybody, real. Th- there have been so many imposters over the years for, <laughs> for commercials and things, but that was a real. He, and Kentucky Fried Chicken was a big sponsor then. They catered food in the press lounge occasionally and, and uh, had some advertising here. And So he was making a Goodwill tour around and came out. And I was fortunate to have a picture. I said, that is probably the most, they, they said that's the most recognizable person in the world next to Muhammad Ali. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders. And that is a sad note here on A's Cast Live. <laughs> but there was also the picture with Joe D in there. What was it like, Joe DiMaggio, when he started walking around in an A's uniform, that the other American League teams would see Joe DiMaggio in an A's uniform? That had to be like, wow. Well, you know, Joe was an icon in the, uh, the movie The Graduate had just come out. And as a Simon Garfunkel sang yeah. the song, and uh, so he was. Where have you gone, uh, Joe DiMaggio? So he was resurrected again, and then coming into uniform with the A's, um, everybody wanted to talk to Joe because he had not been around. He hadn't been to Detroit. He hadn't been to the White Sox. He was real like private. That. Absolutely, okay. very private person, and uh, so he was traveling with the ball club and. It wasn't like us later on, but it was almost like a rock show because he was the man. Uh, Reggie wasn't the man yet. Campy wasn't the man. Joe DiMaggio was the man in an Oakland A's uniform. What, was he Mr. Because, you know, Joe DiMaggio, obviously, did, I, was not, I was born in 72. Me, knowing baseball history, Joe DiMaggio the great, but Joe DiMaggio to me as a little boy was Mr. Coffee. And you want to tell? Was, was he Mr. Coffee yet? I'm gonna. T- he was. That was coming on, and I'll tell you the little secret. He didn't even drink coffee. Are you serious? <laughs> he had a Mr. Do, coffee. Do machine. not tell me Arnold Palmer did not use Pennzoil. <laughs> Arnold Palmer used Pennzoil oil, right? Please I'm tell sure me. I'm sure he did. And he drank Arnold Palmer's. But uh, Joe uh, was a tea guy. Really? So we used the uh, Mr. Coffee to make him hot water for his tea. Okay. Not to say before he before I knew him, and maybe when he was a player, he drank coffee, but he didn't at that time when he was with us. You know, one of the things I always love talking about, you know, having read the the Last Dynasty and the Charlie Finley book, it, and, and it just does not get its due. And, and Charlie gets a bad rap. This is a guy. However, you feel business wise, he made a lot of money, so bought a team. It's his team. But he ran the team from Chicago. He won three straight World Series, but they win the playoffs, 71 to 75. He did all of that from another town, from a from a from a rotary phone with a cord, folks, not a cell phone. He ran a baseball team from a phone in Chicago that won three straight World Series and is one of the great runs in the history of baseball. And when he was trying to sneak out here. We would find out, and that's all of a sudden the guys in the front office would put their ties back on, and here comes Charlie. And Charlie says, well, I like the way you guys wear ties every day, but they didn't. But Charlie would be on the phone all the time. He'd call and complain about a $5 phone bill, about a $5 laundry bill and spend $6 on a phone call back in the days before it was cheap like it is now. Yeah, he ran it. He had his people here that he talked to. He was a general manager. He was making all the trades. He had some scouts that he would rely on, just get some information, and he'd maybe – call scouts of another team who say, oh, great, I got a call from Charlie Finley. Yeah, yes, about this player. Next thing you know, we trade for him, and the guy becomes a better-than-average player. Uh, he uh, didn't like spending money, uh, except for players at the beginning, and then the arbitration process kind of wore on him, and he decided to bail out. It was a good time. But uh, he understood baseball and talent, and uh, 
he spent a lot of money in signing bonuses before the draft and once the draft started in 65. So uh, he was a pretty good, smart baseball man considering he made all his money in insurance. Well, you know, a lot of people, the way he's looked at when, when you say about being cheap, but now how we know the game has gone to where the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, they all went to salary caps. Why? Because it works and it's better for the game. The problem that we have now in baseball, where you have the teams that have a ton of money, teams that don't, it's just, it's, it, it's such an odd balance in the game of baseball. Charlie said that would happen and he was right. Charlie thought it would happen sooner than it did. The discrepancy now is what, where our payrolls are at 47 million and a couple of clubs are 270, 280. That's a big difference. But how about in 1990, after we'd won the World Series in 89, we had the highest payroll in baseball. Yeah. 1990 we did. I mean, it was maybe $27, 28000000 million. But it showed that we could compete. Now the discrepancies are so far apart. Well, the revenue streams, Charlie didn't know what they were going to be. But he just knew at some point that certain teams wouldn't be able to compete. We didn't know at that point the Internet that we, you know, everything was about attendance then. We didn't know about cable, new ballparks, all the money you're going to get from merch, merchandise, what you're going to get from the app. I mean, the, the, the pie would grow bigger, but the bigger markets had a chance to make more than the other teams because it just wasn't about attendance anymore. Absolutely. And, and they used to say your break-even point was a million in attendance. Now that's not even close. <clears throat> you got uh, Kansas City and St. Louis and Milwaukee. They don't have big TV contracts. We have a bigger one here in Oakland. But um, the whole revenue sources from the Internet, MLB.com, uh, the TV thing, the national TV, that's what's paying all the bills. Charlie was smart enough to realize that at that time it was time for him to get out. And uh, he did. He sold the club and who, uh, you know, we tried to move it three times to Denver. He mentioned New Orleans and uh, Marvin Davis, a million, billionaire from Denver, wanted to buy the club and move it there. And, and, and uh, I think I told you, Chris, there was one time we opened a season in Anaheim and Charlie Finley came in and said, don't rent apartments in Oakland because by the second homestand, you'll be playing in Denver. And that had been unprecedented, a move during the season after you start in one city. Wow. I mean, the, the Mariners, uh, and I'm sorry, the Seattle Pilots moved to be the Milwaukee Brewers, and they did it with about three weeks left in spring training. That's as close as that's ever come. But, uh, yeah, the club almost moved, and, and uh, the Coliseum in the city of Oakland and County of Alameda had an ironclad lease on the A's, and they came close to letting them out so they could get money on a buyout, and then they could afford to buy do skyboxes here. And that's what Al Davis wanted because in the skyboxes for football, you don't have to share that revenue. Yes. You just share the price of the ticket. So that's what Al Davis said. He thought he needed to compete with free agency on the horizon in the NFL. And uh, they thought they could make that deal and keep the Raiders. And uh, there were a couple of attorneys down in Oakland that sat out all weekend figuring a way out and figured out. And it's been written a long time ago that you could not – directly appropriate that money that they would have got, which would have been $4 million from the buyout of the A's lease, and put it into the Coliseum. He could not directly do that. And that saved the A's. Uh, for Oakland, uh, Charlie Finley was smart enough. Hey, his cousin Carl said, let's hire Billy Martin. You won't have to pay him much because the Yankees are paying him. And let's instill some 
some uh, uh, interest in the A's, and and this is a young club that was coming up at the time with the with the uh, Dwayne Murphys and those guys, and uh, hired Billy, and all of a sudden it took off, and it made the Haas family in San Francisco realize that this is a treasure for not only Oakland, the East Bay, but all of Northern California. And so they got the interest and purchased the club, and the rest of his history we've been here since. Wildest times in your tenure, which basically is all Oakland A's history, uh, except this year. You won't be able to count this year. Um, yeah, you are. You're still around all that. Uh, <laughs> wildest times. Is it Billy Martin? Um, probably. Billy Ball. Billy Ball. You know why? Because it saved baseball. Um, we started winning in 1980 with Billy coming in, and like I said, we had a nucleus of a good young club, and uh, people all of a sudden got interested. And after drawing oh, like 310,000 in 1979, I mean, we used to do that in a homestand in the 80s, but uh, <laughs> so we got some interest in there. It's and like arena football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so in uh, in 1980, we drew like 800,000 or something, and that's one of the interests of the Haas family, as I mentioned. But Billy, being an East Bay person, and I'd go out with Billy in the afternoon, off season, and we'd stop here, stop there, and everybody loved Billy from his Oakland Oaks days, remembering him from his Yankee days, as not only as a manager but as a player too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was that was quite wild times because we were saved for Oakland. I mean, I'm born and raised up the street here, and you know, I felt great accomplishment and proud that this club was going to stay here. Are you shocked? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, that the club is still here playing in the Oakland Coliseum, and it's 2022. Well, if you take me back to 1977, 78, 79, yes. But when you see the success we had in the 80s uh, with attendance, the uh, interest in the A's, that uh, uh, I'm not shocked. I mean, I, this Vegas thing kind of wears on me. What are we going to do? I don't know. Something's got to be done here. Um, but uh, it's, it's it's a tough call, what we're going to do. Um, uh, we drew all those crowds in Oakland in the 80s, and I think people forget we were going against Candlestick Park. Coliseum was a better place to go to a game, easier to get to, more fun. The Giants had some bad ball clubs then. I'm talking about mid-80s. And literally the worst weather in the history of professional Absolutely. sports, Candlestick yeah. Park. You drive on uh, 101, whether you go north or south, as soon as you get to the fog, you go uh, go east and there's Candlestick. So, it's horrible. But, uh, so we went against Candlestick Park and some bad Giant teams, and, and that really helped elevate us uh, as far as interest and fan base and everything. But... Uh, What's going on now? I don't know what's going to happen. I just hope it's for the best of the organization and we get back to competing all the time. Money started getting big in baseball. I remember when Nolan Ryan was the first million-dollar player, right? And you're like, wow, a guy's making a million dollars a year. I'm assuming it was sometime in the 80s. You know, Ricky, Canseco, we start seeing that three, four million a year. When was the first time for you, because you're dealing with the players, wants, needs, dealing with them constantly. When did you start going, wow, these guys are really making some generational wealth? When one of them would drop a paycheck and I'd pick it up and I'd say, God, you're only making that much? And it was clearing like 28,000 for two weeks. That's when it kind of hit me. But uh, 
uh, you know, it's part of the game. It evolved. I mean, we all started making more money, too, because the players were making more money, and, and the, the ownerships were fun and uh, took care of us. And, and uh, But the players making that much money, it's like they didn't go from 300000 to a million. I mean, it was a gradual increase, so it wasn't that much of a shock. But uh, uh, the, I hear people now say, God, they're going to pay – pay uh trout 40 million a year they're gonna pay this guy that much i said when's the last time you saw a player put a gun to an owner's head and say sign this you know they're not forcing them to uh, to, uh, pay him that much but uh, that's what the market bears so they have to pay him and that's what i said last week on a's cast live when was the trading deadline second Uh, the second august 2nd it was uh tuesday tuesday so i said i said this uh I think it would have been Tuesday's show. I said, you know, you know what the San Diego Padres did? The San Diego Padres just exposed everybody because what the Padres showed is the money's there. If you're going to take on, even though they were able to get rid of Hosmer, but the fact you're ta- you got Machado, Tatis, now Soto, and what he's going to get in arbitration, let alone if you get a big deal, it just shows even a small market team like the Padres how much money they're getting. They're just willing to spend it. Absolutely. Um- their ownership is pretty, pretty forceful that way by letting AJ Prowler go ahead and speak. And they're, I think they're averaging thirty-seven thousand fans. That's a game. before Soto. <clears throat> You're right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, like I said, no, but no players put a gun to an owner's head for that big contract. No, no doubt about it. And it's, uh, it's going to be just to watch our game go. If there was something that, because people need to realize you were always in the dugout for all these games. Is there something that? You could see good, bad change. Just a change as you as someone who loves watching the game and you've watched the game evolve. What change would you like to see in the game? Well, that's a tough one. Um, the big statistical thing, the knowledge that you get, you might as well use the stats if you've got them. So I have no part, no, no bitch about positioning fielders in certain spots. I mean, I love seeing a ball hit and I thought oh god that's a base hit for somebody and boom there's a second baseman 10 feet behind uh, second base and he's turned into a normal ground out so I don't know if positioning is something that uh, they need to change or looking at I've heard uh, rumors are that no infielder can be on the outfield grass starting next year I don't think that's come to full play yet but uh, as far as a change, I know we've got bigger clubs now. I mean, uh, bigger rosters. Uh, some of the new rules have just baffled me. I mean, not only be able to face, you have to face three hitters unless the inning is ended. Um, so the rule changes, maybe they're good. I don't know. They haven't been proven to me yet. But uh, the big change to me in my whole tenure has been uniforms. <laughs> lots of uniforms. Lots of uniforms. Some teams have eight, nine different jerseys. It's unbelievable. Lots of uniforms. Lots of hats. Lots of changes. Let, let, let's end on this. As obviously the big deal is tomorrow. Uh, today, though, also a big deal, honoring Ray Fossey. You've known Ray Fossey for, my God, since the 70s. Uh, very good friend of yours. Unfortunately, he is not here with us. Just... What do you miss about Ray, and what's a great story you could give us on the way out about Ray? You know, when we made the trade for Ray in the spring training of 73, we traded Dave Duncan and George Hendrick and got Ray. And at that time, there were two big league catchers that were well-known, 
I mean, the best in the National League was Johnny Bench, and it was well known that the best in the American League was Ray Fossey, although Thurman Munson was evolving at the time. So he comes over, and I thought, God, this is really a, a, a nice fit for us, a nice piece. And being the nicest guy in the world, uh, always want to interact with the clubhouse guys all over baseball. He didn't go up to the press box as soon as he got to the ballpark. He went to the clubhouse and talked to the visiting clubhouse guys, maybe the home clubhouse guys. His fairness to everybody in the game, including fans, I will never forget that. He was the most personable guy uh, that, that there is. I mean, he, he loved the game. Nobody loved the Oakland A's more than me except for maybe Ray Fossey. One thing I like to tell people all the time, and you know what Ray Fossey meant to me in so many different ways, but just from a, a, a professional standpoint, when we launched A's Cast, there was a lot of people who were, what the hell is this, right? You remember when we launched it, they're like, what are we doing, what are we doing? right? There was a lot of people who didn't believe, and they, they would lie to me and say, this is great, and then I'd hear what they were really saying, and I knew, and I've kept my mouth shut over the years now that we're the number one podcast in all of Major League Baseball. Those, those were all the old school people. Yeah, all the, they didn't, you know who loved it was Ray. Ray would come over every, hey, Tony, what do you say? He'd come over and he'd, he put his headphones on. And in the offseason, Ray Fossey, every single week, would come on for a half hour. Yeah. Ray loved Ace Cast. He loved the idea. He'd be listening at home on the app. He yeah. loved it. He was the one guy who went, this is great. This is going to be great for the organization. While everybody else was like, oh, my God, what are they doing? Ray Fossey was the one that really backed us. That's amazing. It's, it's good to know that he, he was progressive. He understood that this is, the, this is the way to go, and maybe it would – extend his career a little bit too I'm, I'm not saying that he did that in a selfish way but he understood all the facets of of broadcasting of the media and did a good job with it well how about this guy coming right here andrew bailey's coming up here a guy that uh, obviously you knew for many years that, that's an a's hall of famer right there well welcome, welcome to vusa palooza <laughs> <laughs> andrew bailey here Giants pitching coach, of one, course. One of my favorite guys. I text him all the time, don't yeah, I? Yeah, I, I can't follow this one. This is a tough act to follow. You know, he's going into the A's Hall of Fame tomorrow. Congratulations. I thank did not. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Very very well deserved. That's thank for you. sure. Thank you. Well, it, it's been a pleasure. I, I By the way, are we going to have dry eyes tomorrow during the speech? You know, you said that. I I, I did pretty well last year on the uh, on You Steve choked Yusuf. up a little bit. It's, I don't remember that, but anyway. Um, I, I hope not. I Maybe I make 20,000 people cry. I don't know, but not me. Be great stuff. Congratulations. If anybody earned it, it's you. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Cody. Enjoy tomorrow. Andrew, good to see you. Good to see you, man, always. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.